1 Peter chapter 2, starting with verse 9, we'll read verse 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but you are now God's people. You were once you once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. For the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk about uh, the making of royalty. The making of royalty. There is a position uh, that I like. I, I, I kind of gravitate to this character in um, in certain shows, and they're called kingmakers. Uh, they're usually not the person out front. They're the person behind the scenes kind of making everything go well and making a person, uh, usually the, the, the actual definition is someone who's able to influence political or, or royal succession, uh, but is not necessarily capable of being the candidate themselves. Um, it's, it's someone who has the resources to try to make somebody else do better. Uh, so I kind of gravitate to that person behind the scenes that is able to help the next person get to the next level because I realized it recently that that is sort of what my job is as a pastor. I'm here to pass on uh, the knowledge that I have gained and understanding in order to... Uh, Take people to the next level. So I guess that's kind of why I I like that position. And we are definitely royalty. We are, as the Bible says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. And so I feel it is my job to uh, remind people that they are royalty. Give them the tools that may be needed to, to make it to the next step. Uh, I like a particular gospel artist by the name of Donald Lawrence. Uh, musically, he's probably one of the most gifted uh, people I've ever seen in terms of what he knows and what he hears and what he's able to do and the way he writes his music. It's scripturally based. And he always has good music behind scripturally based songs. And... Another bonus point that's good for me is he's always nice to the sound man. <laughs> um, <laughs> the few times that I've been fortunate enough to be working a soundboard when Donald Lawrence was on the microphone, he was always nice and respectable. He didn't make a scene about what he wanted. He was very polite. Give me a little more. Thank you, brother. God bless you. It's where there are some people who... Um, We'll, we'll make a scene out of yelling what they want from, from the sound man. And it's all the sound man's fault. And so Donald Lawrence gets points for me. Because <laughs> when I was on the board and he was in concert, he was nice to me. <laughs> you know, something else I've, I've noticed as well, it seems uh, with the exception of a handful of artists, the more accomplished they are, the more, the more polite they are to people. The, the the person who uh, theoretically just got their first solo 
is the one that wants to fuss and yell and you have to take them behind stage and have a come to Jesus meeting with them about certain things. Whereas someone who's a national recording artist is, is polite. Just something to think about. But in these uh, songs, some of the songs I think of when I think about Donald Lawrence is one's called Spiritual. Because he says, uh, you're not a natural being having a spiritual experience. But you are a spiritual being living this natural experience. You know, we, we spend a lot of time worried about the natural and not necessarily the supernatural. When the natural is something that is temporary. The spiritual is eternal. And then sometimes another song says, you know, sometimes you have to encourage yourself. Sometimes you have to speak victory during the test. No matter how you feel, speak the word and you will be healed. Speak over yourself. Encourage yourself in the Lord. And so sometimes whenever I'm feeling down, I I repeat that song to myself to encourage myself and speak life to myself, no matter what the situation And then there's a song that I thought about with today's sermon. You come from royalty, an aristocratic dynasty. The goal of the enemy is that you don't know who you are. There's power when you speak. Be mindful of the words you release. I know that life has challenged you, but the king in me Speaks to the king in you. You were born to rule. There is a king in you. It's reminding us that we are kings. I said I I sort of see my job as sort of that of a king maker. Someone who has knowledge in royal succession. Not power or influence per se. But knowledge. We are part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And I feel that is my job to learn about the kingdom and then in turn tell others. When Christians, we we as Christians spend a lot of time talking about Jesus and what Jesus did and what Jesus said. But something that I've noticed when it comes to what Jesus did and what Jesus said is Jesus spent a lot of time talking about the kingdom told a lot of parables the kingdom of God is like this and the kingdom of God is like that and during this Advent season which is pretty much December leading up to Christmas we celebrate the coming of the king says in Isaiah uh, chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 then Isaiah said here O house of David it is too little for you to be you weary mortals were you worry were you that you worry my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Um, then uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 12 through 13, it says, and then Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come. The one who rises to rules the Gentile, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15 uh, verses 12 through 13 is actually the first scripture for Advent. Uh, Like I said, Advent is the time where uh, a lot of quote unquote mainline religions celebrate the coming of Jesus all the way up to Christmas celebrating his birth. And there's a five candle wreath or a five candle holder that will be done and and uh, the first candle you light is purple and it's the candle of hope and this is the scripture that goes with it we are celebrating the hope that is to come the hope in the future we are celebrating the coming of Jesus some characteristics I've noticed of a king are Number one, a king is never voted into power. The king is king by birthright, and the king can't be voted out of power. And we look at Genesis 1 and John 1. In the beginning, God was there. In both those scriptures, it said it was there. So you can't necessarily be over something or if, if they were there first. By virtue of God's position, he was there in the beginning. He's the first of all. A king is never voted into power, and it's his birthright and can't be voted out of power. The king's authority is absolute. We serve an omnipotent God, an omnipresent God, an omniscient God. It's all-powerful and is everywhere and is all-knowing. His authority is absolute. The king's word is law. God says it. That's it. He spoke and worlds were formed. And we being part of this, that's why we need to be mindful of what we say. Because our words form our own worlds. Something else about a king is the king personally owns everything in its domain. Uh, some of our earthly kings are, are, are wealthy and they're wealthy because they own a lot of land. Something I, I, I did not know until I read in an article, the uh, Queen of England, uh, they reported how much money she made and uh, over the past year and it was hundreds of millions of dollars, but it was hundreds of millions of dollars because she owns land. They're not really making that much more land these days. And so, you know, the, 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 the real estate is something physical you can touch. But kings, queens, royalty, they rule and they own everything. Let's, let's turn to Psalm 24, if you will. Talking about kings and kings owning things. Psalm 24, very first verse, (laughs) says the earth is the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. There we have a king owning property. 
The king personally owns everything in his domain. And when you own it, you can govern it. When it's yours, you can say how it goes. When it's yours, you can say what you want to do with it. When you own something, it is your... No one else has any say over how you operate it. You know, even if I don't like the fact that you put rims that stick all the way out and take up two lanes on a car I'm not paying the note so if I think that looks tacky I'm not paying the note it's your car you can do what you want with it you own a house outside of you know homeowners associations you can do what you want to your house it's your property it's therefore it's what you can do with it and we are part of a kingdom and the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof So the king's authority is absolute and his word is law. And it's all absolute and it's law because they own everything. A king's decree is also unchanging. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 verse 35. There we go. Matthew 24, verse 35. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. A king issues a decree. It's not going to change. God's word does not change. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should be caused to repent. And there it says right there in the scripture. So we're a part of a king and the king's word does not change. You know, a lot of things change. Hairstyles, presidents, schools, people. But I know what hasn't changed. It's right here. Psalms 19 and 7 starts off, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statute of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, and yea, much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them, your servant is warned, and keeping them is a great reward. The law of the Lord, God's word, is perfect, it's unchanging, it's converting the soul. In Revelations eleven fifteen says that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Like I said, we're talking about Advent and celebrating a time that, you know, is not necessarily the exact time on our calendar, but it's the time that we've chosen to celebrate it. Uh, we celebrate the coming of the king. We celebrate things being set into place, everything getting started. We celebrate the beginning because we know the ending. A king also embodies the government of his kingdom. 
kingdom is here because the king of heaven is in the hearts and lives of his citizens. We are citizens of the kingdom. We, by being citizens of the kingdom, promote the kingdom and spread the kingdom and let others know. That's why I often say that you all will preach more sermons than I ever will. People watch how you live. People watch how you act. People watch how you treat people. And they make those decisions based on whether or not they would be involved in a church or be involved in a personal relationship with Christ. Often, more often than not, people don't want something to do with the church because of the church folk in it. They see how they act and they say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. People say all the time, we don't have a problem with the church or we don't have a problem with Jesus. We have a a problem with Jesus's bride, which is the church. Another another characteristic about a king is that a king's uh, prosperity or a king's uh, effectiveness is uh, judged by the welfare of his people. If a king is ruling and the people are suffering, it's not a very good king. If a king is, is, is ruling and the people are prospering and the land is plentiful, there, there is, that is the mark of a, a considered good king. Let's turn to 3 John. John 2 reads, Beloved, I pray that it all may go well with you and that you will be in good health just as it is well with your soul. Uh, some translations, that's the New Revised Standard translation, some translations read that I pray that uh, you prosper as your soul prospers. It's not just about money. You know, people, people think when you talk about prosperity, it's about just, you know, New cars and new houses and money in the bank and all of those things. But it's about also your health and your soul and your life. You know, what what good is it to have a bunch of money if you are on outs with your family? What good is it to have a bunch of money if you don't have the health to spend it? Funny thing I'm noticing, too, is that those with a bunch of money spend most of their time giving it away. One of the richest or wealthiest men in the world, Bill Gates, has given up almost half of his found of his money to a foundation he started so that they can help people in underdeveloped countries, give them access to technology and help them with uh, health screenings and putting out clinics and doctors. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is doing He's given, last time I looked, probably like $35 billion to help people that will never buy, a, will never be even able to afford buying one of the things he makes. But the prosperity is not just about wealth as in means of income. 
wealth is in, in it's about your health it's about your soul something else I notice about kings the king's name is in, is the essence of the authority a king's name is power a king's name on the, on the decree a king's name on anything is is um is potent let's go to philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I'm going one for, I said 10, but I'm going to read 11 as well. And every tongue shall confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. The name, the royal name has authority behind it. The royal name has has power behind it. I'm reminded in Acts um, where Peter and John were going around casting out demons and healing the sick and, and declaring the name of the Lord. When they got arrested for doing what they did, you know, they couldn't find anything to do with them. So what they told them is, uh, we don't want you to preach or teach anymore in that name. They didn't say anything about preaching or teaching anymore. They said they didn't want them to preach or teach anymore in that name because there was power behind the name of Jesus Christ. It was, it was the, the, Christ Jesus is what gave them the authority because when they first got arrested they asked by what authority are you doing this so then they told him not to do it anymore in that name you can do what you want but you can't necessarily carry the name of Jesus it's too powerful they didn't stop doing it but obviously those who had sought to imprison them understood the power and the authority of a name companies spend millions and Billions of dollars to protect their name. They want to be associated with a good brand and anything that makes their brand, that diminishes the value of their name, diminishes the value of their brand, they seem to immediately get rid of it. Politicians won't associate with other politicians because they don't want their name dragged down. You can be in a discussion or an argument and, you know, somebody brings up a name and just to bring up somebody else's name is considered offensive. Why are you dragging them into it, so to speak? But the name of a king is the essence of its authority. A king's citizenry or the citizens of the kingdom that also represents their glory, the glory of a king. Kingdom citizens are supposed to reflect the character of their king, who is righteous, just, benevolent, compassionate, and full of glory. 
if we represent the name of Jesus, we ought to do well to represent that name. Because like I said, again, you preach more sermons than I will. People will associate you with Christians. And if they see how you act, they believe that that is how all Christians act. We, we are a, a, a society of generalizations. We look to try to classify different people in different ways and different things, and that way we can process it better. Sometimes it works well, but sometimes it becomes a generalization that's not necessarily for everything else. But we as kingdom citizens ought to be able to represent the kingdom. Romans 8 and 12 verses 17 says, So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. In fact, we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Life in Christ is a life of adoption. We are adopted into the family to receive all the benefits of the kingdom. We are adopted into the present suffering, so it may not be easy just all the way around, but we are also adopted into the future glory. Some of the benefits of being a part of the kingdom is, number one, our sins are forgiven. First John 1 and 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then once our sins are forgiven, we are new creatures. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation, new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. So it's not a revolving door. We are new creatures. And being a part of the kingdom, we are also filled with the Holy Spirit. The comforter. The one who was brought in place after Christ rose. We also have a relationship with God. Being kingdom citizens. I, being in relationship with someone allows me to uh, get things that someone who did not know that person or was not in relationship with them would be able to get. You're able to ask things of the Lord. And I think the best part. The most important part is we get to experience his grace. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Starting with uh, verse 1. Ephesians reads as follows. You were dead 
through the trespasses and sins which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, the desires of the flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might know the immeasurable riches of his grace and in kindness towards in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what, has he, made, what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We get to experience the grace of God. Amen. Nothing you can do to earn it. You can't work. You can't work your way to get it. It's God's gift, and you get it through faith. And uh, grace is a very big thing in in the United Methodist system. Uh, John Wesley, the person who uh, is our uh, credited as the father of the denomination, uh, talked about different kinds of grace. Talked about a provenient grace and a justifying grace and a sanctifying grace. This gift of God, this provenient grace uh, is the grace that covers us before we even know it. The justification or the justifying grace is when we decide to make the decision to follow Christ Jesus. And the sanctifying grace is what covers us as we go through this Christian journey trying to improve our life. Um, I can't remember if it was specifically our Bishop Huey or if it was John Wesley or if it was our bishop quoting John Wesley, but they they looked at these three forms of graces like a house. And the provenient grace, the covering, was sitting on the porch under an awning. You were covered from the elements, but you weren't necessarily in the house. You experienced some of the benefits of the house, the not being rained on because you're on the porch. That's that provenient grace covering you before you knew it. The justification is the decision to come into the house. That's you stepping through the threshold of the door, deciding to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then the sanctification is is the grace that covers you while you're inside the house. You're in the house, so there are rules to be followed in people's houses. But you're still covered. You're still a part of the house. And the best benefit of deciding to be a part of this kingdom and be an heir to the throne is experienced, in my opinion, his grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.